0: You' are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more. It's awkward. Good morning, Canby Foursquare. How y'all doing? Yeah, it's good to be with you. We got a lively crowd. You're speaking back to me this morning. How's this week gone for everyone? Good, good. I like this. This is a little bit smaller space here, a little bit more confined, a sold-out crowd, if you will. Uh, this is our, our new setup. We, uh, this is the closest thing that I'll probably ever get to a Harley Davidson right here. It's wide. I've got my my windscreen here. I hope that you feel protected. Uh, I certainly do. Uh, hardly noticeable, right? We are continuing our series in our steadfast series in First Peter this morning, and we have a monumentous, a humongous bit of theology for us this morning. We have uh, a passage that I will. Uh, hopefully, convince you that this is where Peter is taking his entire book. This is his crescendo or the climax of the book, and uh, we will be looking at First Peter chapter three, verses eighteen through twenty-two. So you can flip over there, and in just a few minutes, we'll read from this. But again, it's going to be First Peter chapter three, verses eighteen through twenty-two. Uh, This is a special week for my family here in uh, Canby because our family, we actually moved here from Boston a year ago this week. We uh, were out in Boston, and we started out our journey there for the last three years. I was uh, doing some graduate work, and when I finished, uh, Pastor Ron and, and the other staff felt sorry for me, so they hired me and then I got to come out here and be a part of your church and this has become our church and this has become our city that we're a part of and we love being here in Canby. Now many of you uh, know that our, our story started back in Boston but we were at family camp last week and a lot of people that were there were really surprised to see how we actually got here from Boston and what we did is we started out in, in Boston. This is actually my seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. This is the last time I saw this place, and we we set out on our journey, uh, my wife, Ash, and our three kids, and our 4 by 6 travel trailer. And this is how we came across the United States, and we camped all along the way. This is our setup, and yes, you heard that correctly, we camped with three small children. What a blessing in disguise. We, we took the southern route. This is actually how we, uh, if you look at the northern route, that's how we went to Boston. We've done this twice now. And then we came back the southern route, zigging and zagging across the United States. And there were many highlights. There were uh, some real highs. There were also three lo- some pretty down lows, rainstorms, wheels falling off etc. But when I think about our journey from Boston here to Oregon, we were hitting state parks and, and national parks all along the way, and there was one specific highlight. There was something that stood out above them all as a highlight for me. And that was the uh, coming into Arizona, and we decided we were going to set up shop and we were going to go see the Grand Canyon. Now, the Grand Canyon uh, was a place that, for me, growing up, you just, you read about it, or you hear about others that have gone to the Grand Canyon, and what do they always say? The same cliche statement, right? Pictures don't do it any justice, correct? And I'm here to tell you today that they're right. Pictures don't do it justice. And I when I got to the Grand Canyon, I remember seeing the Grand Canyon as we were coming in and we we're driving up the road and we, were, uh, we woke up real early to go see uh, the Grand Canyon early in the morning and beat the crowds. And you see in the horizon the vast, the vast canyon, how big it really is. And you, you can see, you can tell that you're getting ready to see something amazing. And well, the Grand Canyon, you can, you can see it from the north rim, you can see it from the south rim, you can see it from the east rim, you can see it from the west rim, you can see it from whatever angle you would like to, and, and each angle gives you a different appreciation for the canyon. Wherever you see it, you, you, some might see it from a 30,000 foot level, and you can, you can fly over the Grand Canyon, and you're amazed by how large it is, how big it is. You can You can come to the rim, as I did here, and you can come to the edge and and pray to God that you're not one of 12 uh, on average per year that die in the Grand Canyon, Uh, but safely going to the, the edge like I am, safely, and you just feel small. Or there's another angle where you can be in the canyon, where you hike down, maybe Maybe you're going to raft through the river that flows. Just the Grand Canyon in itself comes with this great mystery. How exactly did it get there? What's the source of it? How did it actually carve out a canyon this deep, this vast, this wide? The mystery of it continues. And as I was thinking back on today's sermon, what I entitled close to the my Grand Canyon story, you're welcome. The Grand Gospel. The Grand Gospel. And I, and I want us to think about this for a minute here, that what makes the Gospel so grand? Or the, 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 the Greek word is euangelion, the, the, the announcement, the good news, that this good news would be heralded, that it would be proclaimed. And I want us to begin to ponder this. What makes the gospel, the good news, so good? Well, I think all of us in here, we would say that we're familiar with uh, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about the good news of the gospel coming. And yet today we, we get to see a perspective that's like no one else. From the four gospels, we see christ's death burial and resurrection we see this from an earthly level we see what was happening at the ground level of the cross that we see christ dying on friday and rising again on sunday but peter quite literally will take us below the surface in an amazing passage and what it will do it will allow us it will allow us to see the gospel And what it did, what it is doing in our lives today from a different angle. Just like seeing something marvelous like the Grand Canyon. You can experience it in one way. We've experienced the gospel from the four gospels. But today, Peter will push our understanding and hopefully move in our hearts to fall in love with this gospel, this Jesus that's behind the gospel all over again. So turn in your Bibles and let's see what Peter wants to show us today. I'll read along, I'll read and you follow along in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22. Saddle up, this is a good one. For Christ also suffered once for the sins of the righteous, for the for the sins of the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. Which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him or under him. And God's people said, amen. What a text. Uh, I went to seminary for a theology degree, so I have a master's degree in reading books. And this this passage is known throughout theologians as being perhaps one of the, what they would say, the most difficult passage in the New Testament. Uh, I like to say that theologians, they would call this passage a, a humdinger of a passage, if you will. This uh, this has a lot of meat to it, and, and I think as we unpack it, you will see why. We have a lot of cross-referencing. There's assumptions that we just know what's going on in the Old Testament. There's assumptions that we know what's going on uh, below the earth's surface. There's a lot of things that this text assumes from us. So let us dive in, and, and I would just want to point your attention to three, three areas of structure that we will look at in our text today. And and the first two, put to death, made alive. Those come straight out of the text. In verse 18, we will see that uh, Christ suffered once for the sins and the righteous and the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God to be put to death, but made alive in the flesh. This will be of interest to you in just a few moments. And Christ's reign in verse 22 that this is the structure that we will see that something is being put to death that's being made alive and Christ reigns. That something is, is going down and it's dying, coming to life, and reigning. That is the structure. And, and, and the bells in your mind should be going off. Well, pastor, that sounds a lot like a baptism the structure of this sounds a lot like a baptism. Huh, funny you ask. We're going to get into that. So let's dive into our passage here and look at what God's word has to say about the grandness of the gospel. Right here, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous and the and the righteous for the unrighteous. Friends, those of us online, those of us in the patio, those who are listening, those who are amongst us in this room, Christ the righteous. That the text is saying that Christ, his righteousness, that it suffered for the unrighteous. That is us. That is that we would know Christ and that, that he was made dead in the flesh. Now what the, what is this talking about? This is talking about that we see the crucifixion, that we see that Christ died, that his physical death, burial and resurrection. But what this is going to point to is what happened in the in the spirit realm. That Christ that he was made alive in his spirit. And why did they, why is this important? Because what Jesus is doing he is paying a debt that we could not pay. That Jesus is making right an atonement with God. That The, the gospel message is this, that, that Jesus, that he came to save sinners. That Jesus came to save us from Satan, sin, and death. It says that he died once for our sins. That there's, there's one sacrifice that's been made for you. There's one sacrifice that's been made for me. And and the the interesting question is why. This text tells us the why. What was the purpose of Christ's death? Well, it says right here in verse 18 that he, in in the last part of verse 18, that he might bring us to God. The, The message right there. Jesus Christ, he came to die on the cross to save sinners, that he came to conquer Satan, sin, and death, and he came to bring us to God. That is how Peter opens up his message. That is how Peter opens up the purpose of this whole entire letter. The whole climax of 1 Peter rides on this, that the purpose of the gospel, what makes the good news the good news, is that we are brought into right relationship with God. that Romans, that it will tell us that, that, we were, that we are sinful and that in the midst of a holy God, that Christ, he brings us, that his righteousness is on us. That for those of us who believe in Christ, that God sees his righteousness on us. That is the message. That is the purpose. And I, and I make this distinction And I want you to say, Pastor, this sounds redundant. I want you to to make this distinction that the purpose of our relationship with God is to be with Him. The purpose of our relationship is to be with God. And and there's there's many benefits. If I were to go around this room and ask, "What what are the benefits of salvation? Many of you, you might, you might raise your hand and, and say, well, healing, the Lord, the Lord he is, is healing me. He has healed me. Um, maybe, maybe you're thinking the benefits are, are heaven. You know, my house, it's not so great right now, but coming to the Lord, I get a mansion, maybe a street of gold. That's, that's a benefit. Who wouldn't want to have a relationship? That, that, that beats being lonely, Who wouldn't want heaven over what's the alternative? Hell. But I want you to see what Peter's pointing at, that Peter is pointing at that God is the gospel, that we would long to be with God, that God is is what we long to be with, that he is central, not just the benefits. Um, One of my favorite uh, preachers Uh, Pastor John Piper, he wrote a book called God is the Gospel. And he uh, points out in this passage what is our longing for? Do we long to be with God? When we think about salvation, do we think about it in, Jesus, thank you that someday you're just going to get us out of here. Thank you that uh, I don't have to go to hell. Thank you, Jesus, that I... Um, I got healed. Those are all great benefits, but do we long for the Lord? A Puritan once said, he said, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a non-Christian will choose heaven over hell, but a Christian will choose heaven over this world. What that means, what we're what what saying is that, that there is something beyond this. Anybody, a, a fool would choose hell over heaven. Anybody would choose a good place over a bad place. But, but for Christians, that we we long to be with God, that we know that God is the only one that satisfies. And this is how John Piper he concludes this point he gives us a very thoughtful question to think about. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could be in heaven with no sickness, with all your friends you've ever had on earth, and all the food you've ever liked, and all the leisure activities you've ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you've ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ wasn't there? Could we be satisfied? And this, what, what Peter is drawing out of us, is it, is it God that we long for? Is our, do our souls ache to be with God? Or do we just think of God in His, in his benefits? Do we, that this text Friends, if you are not a Christian and you're here with us, if you're not a Christian and you're online listening or in the patio, that this text is the core of what we believe as Christians. This is what we will uh, we'll, we'll bet the farm on. That Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that he came to save the unrighteous, that he was righteous and that he took our place, and that the benefit and the purpose of it is that we long to be with God. If you're like me, church, you um, this this really makes you question your heart, right? I I question my heart whether or not do I long for that Jesus? Do I long to be with you? I think about this. Uh, I had when I was growing up, there was a neighbor kid. This is um, showing you the sinful side of Pastor Mark, and and I regret this today. Sorry, Brad, uh, but. There was, there was this kid that I grew up with and I grew up near, and he wasn't a pleasant kid. He just wasn't that enjoyable, and he was mean, and he wasn't nice, and he, but he was very spoiled, and he had a lot of cool toys and an awesome house. And I was always perplexed in what to do because I didn't want to play with the mean kid but his house was cool, he had dirt bikes, he always had the newest video games, he had the coolest stuff. So what did I often do? I would go over, hey, yeah, how's it going, Brad? Uh, and Brad would be like, hey, you want to wrestle? I'd be like, not really. Do you want to play tag? No, not really. Uh, what about playing on your video games? What about riding your dirt bikes? And, and what I, uh, my relationship to Brad was for what? It was for the benefits. But I, I wasn't in right relationship to Brad. I used the relationship as benefit. And, and I, I question in our own heart, in my own heart, do we long for God? Do we see God, that we are being brought to God? Do we want that? Do we desire that? We are being, uh, that Christ, that he is, He was um, dead in the flesh, but he's made alive in the Spirit. That is the purpose of the gospel, that we are being brought to God. But now the text will show us something a little bit behind the scenes. Now this is where things get a little bit crazy, friends. And this is where we we hold on to our seats, because what Peter is going to do, he's going to say, this is what happened, that uh, Jesus was put to death. He's made alive in the Spirit, and this is how. And this, again, we're dealing with a text that is, uh, it's very obscure, and there's many different interpretations that can, can go with this text. Um, and, and I'll just point out a few main ones when we get into it. But what you must understand is that we are referencing back to the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with your Bibles, that this is taking place uh, in the book of Genesis. And this is what Peter's gonna jump back to, this story of Noah's Ark. Let me read here in verse 19. In which he went, talking about Christ, and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Clear, right? Yeah. Uh, as clear as mud. And wh- if you look up here on this quote, this is Martin Luther. He is a, he is a reformer of the faith, and he's, he's the, one of the lead uh, people for the Protestant movement of us um, Uh, as Protestants today uh, protesting against the Catholic Church and he was a reformer of the church and uh, Martin Luther says of this text a wonderful text is this and more obscure passage than any other in the New Testament so that I don't know for certain what it means so if you're reading through this and you don't know what it means we're in good company that's great Many people don't know what this means, but I will help you to understand today. So what Peter's going to do—man, stay behind the glass, Mark. Stay behind the glass. What Peter's going to do is he's going to unpack the scene for us, and he expects us to know Uh, Genesis, and he expects for us to know what's happening in the time of Noah, and what's happening in the Old Testament in Genesis, and and primarily this text is taken from Genesis chapter 6, is that in the time of Noah, that God had called Noah to build a cruise ship in the middle of the desert. Yeah, Noah, trust me, I'm going, uh, because what had happened is that The the man, that the text actually says in Genesis 6, it says that men just continually did evil. It goes on to say that God said that he was sorry that he had made man. That's how much evil was pervasive in the world. And what is also happening during this same time is this wild event in Genesis chapter 6 where there are these fallen angels, what's referred to as the sons of God, And they have come down and they have taken human wives to corrupt God's plan. And what happens is God sees the corruption in the world. And it is there where God says that I will wipe out. That I will essentially baptize the earth. That I will flood the earth. And he gives and he tells Noah to build an ark. And there's 120 years we can quickly go, man, that was really, really mean of God. It seems like that was a bit extreme. He gave 120 years for people to repent and turn to him. And it says here in our text, and it says in Genesis, that only eight Noah's closest family believed God. Trust me, friends, there was room on the ark for others. No one else repented. And this is is the, the background that Peter expects for us to understand. And so what do we do with words like proclaimed, spirit, prison? What's happening in these words? Well, there's a few different interpretations, and, the, and, a, and a, a more popular in a very postmodern world is this. The first interpretation is that what Jesus did on his death was that when he went down into into Hades, or down into uh, the underworld, or down into hell, that he went and he proclaimed the gospel to everybody up until his death, burial, and resurrection. That everybody of the Old Testament, everybody that was before Christ, got a chance at salvation. That's a view that is is widely held, and that's what people uh, would interpret this passage as saying. I would not go there. Uh, I have nothing scripturally to believe outside of this text uh, that that was what was being said. And this text actually, frankly, doesn't point to that either. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But that would go against the whole of Scripture. But it is a view that's held. The second view is basically this kind of Doc and Marty McFly back to the future view that what happens is Jesus, he he dies, and that he goes into hell, and that he's speaking through at the same time as Noah, and Noah, and he's preach Noah's preaching, but preaching God's word, and 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 you could uh, link this to the first part of. Uh, Peter, in chapter 1, verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. And, and th- this general idea is that, look, the prophets didn't realize that they were preaching about Christ. Um, and this is a view that is, is loosely held within our faith as well. The third view, which I, I lean towards, and I'll just let you know that right now, is that Christ went Uh, That he went to a place and he proclaimed his salvation. He proclaimed his victory to the demonic. That he proclaimed to evil. That he is the Christ that won. That evil, that demonic thought they had won and Christ proclaims his victory. Here is why I believe this. Proclaimed, friends. Proclaimed is not the word for evangelism. In this text, proclaim does not mean evangelism. Jesus did not go anywhere and evangelize in this text. Uh, The word for spirit, it does not refer to the human spirit. It's not the word that we're used to in the Greek that would mean the human soul. That this spirit actually only refers to the demonic. Furthermore, the prison here is also not Gehenna, which the New Testament translates hell. So what is happening in this scripture and what is happening in this text is that what Jesus is doing is he is saying he was, he was, he was de- made dead in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. And what we, we should have our attention drawn to is there's these two realms of tension. That there is this real world in which we live in. There is real pain. There is real suffering. And at the same time, there's this real world of opposition. That there is a real world of the satanic that is out to get us. That's out to get humanity. And what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection did is it conquered both. And what Peter is doing is he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't, Don't think that this is the only world. Don't think that there isn't a devil out there or an adversary that seeks and prowls to only do what? Steal, steal, kill, and destroy. That there is a battle for your soul, that there is a battle for your marriage, that there's a battle for your relationships. And Peter draws our attention and he holds these tensions. And he says, Jesus, he didn't just do a magic trick where he died on Friday. And he rose again on Sunday. But in between that time, Peter gives us this different vantage point. And he says, this is what Christ did, that he conquered Satan's sin and death for you and for me. This is the beauty of the gospel, the good news. And why did he do it? Because Christ was righteous. And he did it for the unrighteous, for those of us that we couldn't, that he paid his penalty of death. That he did this, what the scriptures call the great exchange. He traded our unrighteousness for his righteousness. Peter goes down and and he shows us what happens just below the surface. Peter shows us a different angle of the gospel. And he brings this reality that, that that our suffering and our fight is not just against flesh and blood. But our fight is against the principalities of darkness. That there is a wager on your soul. There's a wager on the souls of those who don't know Christ. That eternity hangs in the ballast. Peter, then he's going to go on and he's going to compare this text to baptism. Uh, And why not? Why not? You, You know, you're going along and you're, you're teaching on uh, the, the gospel, and then you, you kind of say this backstory that backfills it a little bit, helps you understand. And then Peter goes, oh yeah, and baptism. You know, baptism, it corresponds to this, and this now saves you. I would like to just point this out um, as this, this is a text that has been uh, Perhaps misinterpreted or misread and uh, by different faith traditions and it will say that look at right there in the black and white preacher man baptism saves you what is going on here what is happening I want to just point out what Peter is doing is he's taking the gospel message and he's going to bring it in to him conquering not only earthly kingdoms but also the spiritual realm. And he's going to say that what was happening in Noah's time and our salvation is, is like a baptism. Baptism has always been a symbol to God's people. It's a symbol that God is saving us. If we think about uh, the baptism in Genesis, in, in Genesis chapter 6, baptism is what it was... It was seen as judgment to those who didn't believe. But what did the water do? The water also saved God's people. That the waters came and everything else was immersed and a new creation was made. That the Exodus story, when, when God's people are being called out of slavery, what do they do? What, 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 what was one of the great miracles that God did to save his people. He took them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea opened up on dry land, and the people of God went through the water and came out saved on the other side. That water and baptism has always been symbolized as, as a symbol of God's salvation. And here, we got to finish reading the text. It doesn't just say um, that it now saves you, not not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. How How does this actually happen? How does baptism save you? It says it here, through the resurrection of Christ. Through the resurrection of Christ. Baptism is simply The symbol. It's our pledge. A pledge of what? A pledge of what Christ did for us. A pledge that the unrighteous have been saved by the one righteous. Baptism is not what saves us, but it is what symbolizes that saves us. Christ's resurrection. Verse 22. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers being subjected to him. Church, I want to leave you with this this morning. That we see a picture that what was made that was, that was killed in the flesh, was made alive in the spirit. That there's this, this picture of baptism that washes over us. And what we should do in, in, in our thinking, and we think about the people in the First Peter. Pastor Ron has given us great back uh, story information on what's happening in First Peter. We know that people are dispersed, they're displaced, uh, they're shut-ins, that they're being pushed out for their, for their beliefs. That uh, persecution is starting to arise more and more. And what Peter does is he encourages his people that, like Noah, in the time where Noah was marginalized, he was the minority, he was the one that was laughed at and mocked. That Noah, he trusted in the Lord. He trusted that it was the Lord that would save him. He trusted that it was God that was working all things out for his glory. And Peter tells his people, you can do the same. The message is to us today that like Noah, Jesus is our ark. Jesus is is who we are in. We are in Christ. That's what scripture teaches us, that he saves us through the waters the waters that can get seem scary at times i think for many right now that that the culture's changing the tide is turning that we're feeling what our beliefs actually look like when they're played out in society and jesus he he reminds us peter reminds us jesus christ who's gone into heaven he's at the right hand of god angels and authorities, earthly powers are subjected to him, are under him. Church, be encouraged today. Jesus is in control. Take courage that Jesus is in control. That a worldwide pandemic, sickness, economics, doesn't surprise Jesus. Jesus is in control. Today, church, would our hope, our longing to be in the grandness of the gospel? Would we reimagine the gospel? Would we leave knowing what Christ has done for us? And the purpose of it all is that you would be with him. Let us pray. Jesus, my, my heart it longs for what I just preached about. My heart, it longs to just long for you, Jesus. And and, and I can think about myself and I can think about the world around me and I can think about my finances and I can think about my future and and the benefits that I have to you and I can miss out on you. Jesus, Jesus, would you reignite our heart this morning? Would you reignite our hearts for those that are in the patio, for those that are joining us online, for those in this room, those who will listen later. Jesus, reignite our heart that we would long to be with the Father. God, that we would be in awe of what you did, Jesus. That we would be right before God. That when God sees us in this great exchange of our unrighteousness for your righteousness, would we long for that, Jesus? God, I thank you that you are good and that you are doing something in your people. God, I pray that we would stand. We would be courageous in our faith, Lord. That we would cling to the ark. That we would cling to who you are in, in muddy waters, in trials, in tribulation, in waves and storms. That we would cling to you, Jesus. That we know that you are going to save us. That you are saving us. Thank you, Jesus, and we love you. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through CanbyFoursquare.com.